0: Hello and welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bat. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Well. How was your Thanksgiving? I'm sure it was great. Yeah. Um. I'm
1: gonna tell you how I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> I have. I don't
0: like this all. Well,
1: no. You know, we talk. We have talked less so you, more so with other guests. We talk about our celebrity crushes sometimes. Okay. And I have one that I didn't quite realize. Oh, all right. Two things have happened. This is one, exciting. One, I've been catching up because it's easy to do while I'm doing work on the website at home, uh, watching a bunch of comedians and cars getting coffee episodes that I hadn't watched. Okay. And now I've always been a fan as an actor of Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. Actually seeing her in person with her friend Jerry on that show, she's adorable. Sure. I think I kind of have a little thing for Sarah Jessica Parker. Okay. And then... As if that weren't enough, today there was an interview with her on the AV Club. Oh, all right, a Random Roles interview, which I love reading. Those mm. I'm obsessed with them, um, and I get mad when Entertainment Weekly rips off the format, uh, <laughs> which they do all the time. But she gave an answer because there is a certain question that that actors get asked all the time. Mm-hmm that I hate because it's such a bullshit question. Okay. And the question is in this particular case, what drew you to flight of the navigator? And I hate when, when actors get asked what drew you to a certain role and Sarah Jessica Parker, I'm going to read, especially an
0: early role. Yeah. She said,
1: what drew me to flight of the, are you seriously asking me what drew me to flight of the navigator it was a part like literally i just got a part i went and did it that's what i did for most of my career nothing drew me to it i can't it was a job that's exactly a paycheck that's exactly what drew me to it i can't even tell you what it was about or who i played you know all you want is a job you're auditioning you want to have as much experience as possible you know it was great that is my, one of my favorite answers that any actor has ever given to a question. And so my crush on Sarah Jessica Parker continues.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I have to assume that there is a temptation in that moment to seem like, oh, well, you know, I just I really liked the idea of this, you know, to kind of bullshit your way through it. Yeah. So that you seem like a serious actor, even at such a young age. Uh, and so for her to just be like. Man, I don't have the energy <laughs> yeah, yeah. to give you what you seem to be looking for here. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. That's kind of that's kind of nice. Yeah, uh, I do. I it, I yeah, have celebrity crushes. It feels a little bit skeevy to talk about it. I don't, I don't know, know who, but maybe but not. Yeah, I don't know. There's we all.
1: We all ship and stand certain things now. This is just part of the fandom culture. What's the what's the Stan one? We've talked about Stan. I th- know. It just means fan. Oh, but it's, okay. okay. It's because fan already came from Fanatic, but now right. fan is too soft. Mm-hmm. So now people say they're a Stan, like the character Stan from the Eminem song Stan. Oh. <laughs> yes. Who's an obsessive psychotic fan. Okay. And now, so that's that's become
0: the new so, normal thing. So fan is too soft. So the alternative is to go as hard as possible to the point where you don't, you can't get yeah. any more. Well,
1: until I like, get in a couple name. of years it'd be like, Oh man, I am such a Chapman for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, that's true. um, um. But, uh, all right. Okay. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's, uh, I love Sarah
0: Jessica Parker. Uh, who's this episode brought to you by, uh, this episode is brought to you by movie, a curated online cinema that brings its members, a handpicked selection of the best independent, international and classic films. Every day movies, curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only $8.99 a month. Plus when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Okay. Quick note. Um, So every week, uh, I, we, they email us and say, Hey, we'd like you to talk about these movies specifically. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Uh, sometimes I just go to the website, see what's there and see if there's anything there that I've seen and would like to talk about or something that just strikes my fancy. And so, so every week I am seeing what is available there. And sadly, I don't have a great deal of time right now to watch really anything, um, hopefully that's going to change in the near future because there are always movies that are interesting to me, but what I'm really struck by, um, is is that, and obviously movie is not the only streaming service that could allow this revelation, but that's the one I look at the most. There are just so many movies and so many filmmakers that are respected and, and have put out work that people really, love both audiences and filmmakers and critics uh that i that are not even on my radar at all and Mm -hmm. uh you know obviously my first response to that is a deep shame uh but then i get past that and realize like I'm, i'm just i'm one person you can't hear of everything um and and it just it's something that on one hand I could choose to be bummed that I haven't seen everything or I could choose to be invigorated by the fact that there is just so much out there. And so that is something that it's one of the things that I like about Mubi. It's why I'm glad they're our sponsor is because they embrace that idea Um, and they don't just give you the standard classics that you know about. Like like there are I mean, they could go like they could go with. Um uh, they could go with a movie by Orson Welles and they could go with F for Fake.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or the trial they did do the trial or they could go with something like that. And it's just like okay, well, having Orson Welles like he's already well known amongst mm-hmm. film fans, but then there are different tiers to his work. And you can and you can say like I'm a big Orson Welles fan. I've seen The Immortal Story, I've seen like all of these things. Um and you, you probably have a fair amount of credibility but what i like about movies they go even deeper and they go with filmmakers that only a handful of people i w- i know have heard of and then but like these filmmakers have been making stuff for years and so like they're not interested in in being in kind of catering and pandering to I'd say the vanity of film fans and say like, oh, yes, you know this film by Orson Welles. You don't you know it already. Right. Obviously. Uh, Instead, I think they're genuinely interested in introducing you to new films by filmmakers you already know or new filmmakers completely from a country that in some that you don't even associate with filmmaking in some cases. And so I don't know. It was just it was uh, something that was on my mind. Yeah, they got good taste and they're
1: dedicated and that's great. Yeah. And they're also not entirely like highfalutin all the time right now. You can watch the howling. Yeah. You you sure can. The howling.
0: Absolutely. Uh, on movie. Um, yeah. And because I think in the end they just really like craftsmanship and yes, mm-hmm. it came out around Halloween. So it makes sense that they would do right. that. Sure. But, uh, but I think they just respond craftsmanship to craftsmanship, even if it's more mainstream or incredibly obscure. But anyway, so, Okay. All that is to say there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's dot com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or click on the Mubi ad at BattleshipPretension.com. This episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiast Presents Podcast, a new series based around a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. During that year, they are faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. Uh, It is a surprisingly personal podcast that uh, they have described as being heavily inspired by the works of Kurt Vonnegut. I don't know how you do that uh, in podcast form, but apparently they found a way. So if you're interested, go to Dice Enthusiast or click on the ad at com to listen. And how this, are you going to listen? That's what well, I want to know. Well,
1: real this podcast, I love... Every description Yeah, makes it sound more and more interesting, but I would love it. I'm sure it's not this, but I would love it if this was all just a joke like a joke oh yeah and you actually download the thing it's just like a half an hour of them like making fart noises with their (laughs) mouths or whatever
0: (laughs) well i could you know i could send them an email and say hey david wants this
1: (laughs) yeah uh all right no i want to tell you about tweaked audio.com tweaked audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great and Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Do you know, I want to ask you a question, Tyler. Okay. Um, what do you listen to while you write? Oh, boy. Because this uh, is, I, you know, all, I... of all the stuff that I talk about, mm-hmm. listen, I listen to music on my tweaked earbuds all the time. But one of my favorite things that I use them for is to listen to music whenever, when I write. And I, like you, am a little bit embarrassed to admit what I listen to. Okay.
0: All right. That's helpful to know. <laughs> I'll bet... Mine is more embarrassing. So what do you got? What do you got for me?
1: I like there are a number of YouTube videos that are three to 10 hours of classical music with the sounds of rain and or fireplaces or both. And I find those incredibly soothing for writing. It does seem embarrassing, but the fact that they exist mean that, means that people obviously want them. All right. So if it's you know, 10 hours of Chopin and raindrops on a window pane,
0: bring it on. Okay. Uh, my answer is shockingly similar. Okay. Um, you get that classical music out of there. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Um, there is a YouTube channel called the Guild of Ambiance, and okay. it is. The the videos vary from one hour to three or four hours, and what's really interesting is that um, this person essentially builds in a, in his computer builds these idyllic scenes sometimes it's in it's like in the forest or it's in like an old-timey library with a crackling fireplace mm-hmm. and that sort of thing but it is it's animated but it looks very realistic and the fact that he just builds this stuff from scratch and it's so it's like it's beautiful to look at but also the the soundscape is very thorough to the point that like when i'm done and then i pause it it's like oh like the, the silence <laughs> okay. is deafening and you realize just how thoroughly this guy does it and there are a number of videos like this uh but this guy is my is my favorite so listeners hey, that's a free plug for the guild of ambiance uh
1: yes and these we both do this but while using our tweaked.com tweaked audio.com earbuds which only adds to the soothing uh, enveloping experience. And these earbuds are available at a low, low price at tweaked But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. What
0: makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: Tyler? Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. Um, I don't want to give too much away about what we're going to talk about today, but... Listeners, look down okay. yeah. at whatever you listen to <laughs> got it the thing on. Listen to the podcast on, be it on you know, your mobile device, your MP three player, like like a Zoom type of deal.
0: Um, whatever device has Spotify, uh, that's for Spotify
1: sure. Spotify could be a thing that you're listening to. And look at the number. No- every episode every episode of Battleship Retention that's not a movie journal mm-hmm. has a number. You'll notice that number ends in a zero. And yet and yet, mm-hmm. is not evenly divisible by 50. Right? The, okay, yes. I'm with you. That means it's a profile. That's right. And uh, in keeping up with what I guess is our new tradition of profiles, this is just what we do now. We are profiling someone who uh, has passed away recently. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to profile Burt Reynolds, the late yep. Burt Reynolds. At this point, um, it's not even that
0: Recently, Actually, it was was early September. September? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's recent. Yeah. Um, and I, Mia culpa, I, there are a number of movies I didn't get to that I had meant to this week. Um, like I I haven't seen white lightning or gator. I don't Mm -hmm. think gators actually supposed to be that great, but I didn't see white lightning. I also, I swear I'm not trolling listeners. I didn't see cannonball run. It honestly wasn't even that high on my priorities list. I feel like, the Cannibal Run was, is a movie that I, I think if you are a certain age or if you saw it at a certain age, people seem to care about it. But it doesn't actually it come up as a, yeah. a great movie very often.
0: I've heard it as the shitty. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Right. Which when rat race exists is saying something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, rat race is charming. Uh, yeah. But I feel
1: like Cannibal Run, my fear. I haven't watched it. I'm not judging the movie um although i guess i kind of did my fear is it's gonna be something like katie like caddy shack
0: because mm-hmm.
1: caddy shack has moments yes um most of them for me personally come from rodney Dangerfield. sure um but uh yeah, that's the worst hat i ever saw i bet when you bought that hat you got a bowl of soup no it
0: looks good on you though <laughs> um <laughs> i was uh, okay Quick side note, okay. um, I was watching, having never actually seen the film, a while ago I stumbled on just a bunch of clips from Back to School. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know w- how that happened, uh, but I do remember hearing some of these from like Mike Schmidt years ago on Never Not Funny. Uh-huh. And But in listening to it, it's like, okay, now I get the context, again, having not seen the f- entire film. Um, but there's one where, so this guy... Rodney Dangerfield plays like a super rich guy. Yeah. Uh and I think he's going back to school with his son. Uh. Right. And so his son is like gonna buy like used textbooks. And he goes, What are you talking about? And he looks and he says, like, you know, the and the son's like, Well, you know, there are there are hilations here and that can be helpful. He's like, You don't know who this person was, could have been a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> <A maniac. laughs> their mania manifests itself in highlighting the wrong parts yeah. of the book <laughs>
1: is to me hilarious uh yeah i used to watch a lot of usually taped off of tv mm-hmm. rodney dangerfield movies specifically back to school i watched a ton as a kid and also easy money with uh joe pesci do you remember no, that i didn't see it um and that was where I first learned the term Messerschmitt as a, as a, a German kind of airplanes yes. because he, and he's like at the kitchen table trying to put together a model airplane, like, and doing a very poor job of it, mm-hmm. like getting glue everywhere or whatever. And then Joe, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, busting, he's like, Hey, we got to go, we got to go do this thing, get some easy money or whatever, you know? And he's like, all right. And he like knocks the thing over on the way out of the door. He says to his wife, honey, there's a there's a mesh <laughs> Honey, there's a message in the kitchen. Would you clean it up? Uh, and I always thought it was very funny as a kid. Um, uh, because it was on network TV and he almost said shit. <laughs> yeah. I think that was probably why I thought it was funny. Uh, anyway, so anyway, all of this is why I didn't watch Cannibal run because I don't think Rodney Dangerfield is in that movie. <laughs> Could be, he could be, yeah. I wouldn't know. Uh, but yeah, me, Copa, I didn't watch cannibal run, which means for me, we get to start with, uh, it feels it's going to be anticlimactic to start with my favorite Burt
0: Reynolds movie, mm-hmm. but 1972's two's deliverance
1: is which my I, favorite
0: Burt Reynolds movie, which I still have not seen, uh, even after all these years and people saying that I would love it. Uh, and you saw, I feel like you saw it somewhat recently. For the first time. No, not for
1: the first time. Okay. I, All right. yeah, I'd seen it. You'd rewatched it I rewatched recently. it. Okay. By somewhat recently, I mean within the past 10 years. That sounds right to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I, I watched it. Um, it was actually my wife's idea, which was weird because it's not the kind of movie she would normally like. But I feel like it's one of those movies that's so in the culture mm-hmm. that I feel like my wife was like, is this actually a good movie? And I was like, yes, it's really good. Yeah. Um, because I put it in the category with movies like. Rocky and Saturday Night Fever and Planet of the Apes that the reputation is about the things that are
0: kind of exaggerated or have been parodied so many times yeah. and just easily easy to translate into larger pop culture. Like right. with Rocky's like, Oh, he's punching, up, meat. R- punching meat and running upstairs. Right. Yeah. And with this one's like, Oh, banjos.
1: Yeah. Banjos or squeal like, a pig. Squeal like a pig. exactly. Yeah. Those are the
0: things like and, I haven't seen
1: the movie and I know those. Yeah. You know, uh, and um, what you really don't, uh, uh, what you don't get is deliverance is a, uh, first off, it's a kind of horror movie. Um, it's also a horror movie that speaks directly to me as someone who prefers big cities and is weirdly, I'm very wary of people who live in rural areas because I feel like, what are you trying to hide? Like, I feel like you could get away with a lot of shit out here. There's a lot of nothingness look, out here. You, If you let, if you killed me, you left my body somewhere, you probably get away with it.
0: Look, that's how clearly, I feel about rural America. Anybody <laughs> who lives in rural, rural areas clearly witnessed a crime uh-huh. or has committed a crime yeah. and is just trying to get away from it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of the past style. Exactly. Um, uh, and so deliverance definitely speaks to that because it's about a group of city folk Mm -hmm. like four, you know uh city slicker men going for a weekend uh canoeing and hunting trip Mm -hmm. and what's funny is that this is it's funny that that this burt reynolds performance is so relatively early in his career because it actually if you watch it after you've seen a lot of his other 70s and 80s stuff it feels like a it feels like a specific critique in a way Mm. because burt reynolds is the character who is the most like he's the perfect weekend warrior type in that he's got all the gear. He works out. He knows all the lingo. He feels like he knows what to do, but this is a guy who also works behind a desk Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. And so when things start to go wrong, he's the one who's most equipped to handle it, but also the, the situation and the people that are attacking them are really putting to the test the limits of, of, of his, uh, uh, weekend warrior Ness. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you know, some like Ned Betty's playing just kind of a good guy. Yeah. Um, the rest of them are actually just kind of good guys, um, to be honest, but yeah. not, but also the movie isn't letting them off the hook for the fact that they are kind of trespassers in a way here. They're mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, this, this word is usually used in another way, but in a way they're kind of exoticizing, you yeah. know, it's, or they're being condescending.
0: Yeah. And in, in Barton Fink terms, they're just a tourist with a typewriter. Uh-huh. Whereas everybody else actually lives there. Yes. Except here. Yeah. They're a tourist with a canoe and a bow of yeah. bone arrow. And Ronnie Cox has his
1: banjo, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and so, yeah, I do think it's, it's a terrific performance in Burt Reynolds and it is weird to me, even need knowing that it's pre, Smoking the bandit and pre, mm. uh, you know, cannibalizing those sorts of things, um, knowing that he would become, in some ways, kind of a caricature of this swaggering, like yeah. macho ness, you know, which is a, the exact thing that this movie is intentionally undercutting and in meaning to take the legs out from under, yeah. Uh, it's too bad you haven't seen it. Cause I feel like I could do a whole episode just talking about how much I love deliverance. Oh, and it is, if you think, if you think you've heard the doing banjos and square like a pig, and if you think this is going to get together with your friends and have a laugh,
0: it's not deliverance is a fucking heavy yeah. movie. It's just, it's a tough sit. It's John Borman, right? Yeah. 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 He tends to take things that would seem to be fun <laughs> and then make them heavy as hell. Excalibur is a much darker movie than you would ever expect. And, Also,
1: another one that blew me away when I finally saw
0: it, Excalibur, is I
1: always threatened to make my own top 100 list, because I know you have your actual top 100 of all time.
0: Yeah. I feel like Excalibur would rank in my top 100 movies. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so before we move on, I did want to stop for a moment and bring something up about Burt Reynolds. So, I don't remember, I I used to have this book that would like go year by year and list the top everything uh <laughs> you know like the number one song that year okay. the number one movie and that kind of thing what did you were born 81 82 you,
1: oh, you okay so we have the both have the same number one song of the year which is uh centerfold by the Jay Giles band isn't
0: it <sighs> Yeah, I guess
1: so. Jake Isles, that's a real, I really don't like that song, yeah. but Jake Isles has others. So like freeze frame is a good song. I
0: think it's not.
1: And centerfold is catchy. It's very catchy, but I, um, um I think there's some sort of, uh, uh, something kind and paternalistic about the song that, uh, turns me off. Yeah. Something I can't quite put my finger on. <laughs> no, the entire premise <laughs> of the song is yeah. condescending and paternalistic and misogynistic. Um,
0: but, uh, anyway, so, one thing that it, uh, what are you looking at? Uh, your little pin. Yeah. I have a Is it member of the Riddler club? No, it's, I just, I, uh, bought this hat in Japan and okay. this pin was a part of it. And okay. I so, don't think you can actually take it out. Oh, I see. It's a, so, okay. Uh, anyway, so. I thought it was a uh, Riddler's hat. I mean, I guess it could on be. On your hat. No, see, he's, It's literally a hat on a hat, as they say. That's what we like to do here. <laughs> uh, Uh, Riddler wears bowler hats, okay? Okay. And this is clearly a fedora on that pin. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, So in this book, it also showed like the top, I don't know if it was top grossing or just popularity, whatever it was, the top male and female movie star year by year. And multiple years in a row in the 1970s, burt reynolds was number one Mm -hmm. and i don't necessarily and again i don't think it that necessarily translated out to gross you know like top grossing like he wasn't in jaws he wasn't in the exorcist he wasn't in rocky right but so maybe it was just profile maybe it was just who is the most movie star (laughs) um and so so Hmm. i remember that and then Also, uh, watching old episodes of Siskel and Ebert uh, in the 1970s and 80s, uh, especially in the 80s, uh, Burt Reynolds would often show up in films uh, that they would cite as the worst of the year, but one thing that they would often say is how disappointed they were that he was such a. They kept saying he's such a big star, and he used to be so reliable in the 1970s, and now he just seems to be taking a paycheck or phoning it in or whatever it is. And it's just what's the. What I wanted to mention is that he was a huge movie star for a long time, and I. Th- but I think that he's one of these people, and it does happen every once in a while for directors, actors, whatever, musicians. He's one of these people that, for people our age and younger, and for film fans, I think he will be reduced mm-hmm. to Boogie Nights and okay. Deliverance, like the fact and like, Smoking the Bandit. And we'll smoking get to smoking smoking the Bandit, bandit. But, but, but the idea, like that, he has he's he has a huge filmography, but that he his whole career and he directed movies as well. Yeah, we'll get to that. that. He could can be boiled down to. two maybe three of these movies from a while ago and it's just interesting that he is somebody that uh i don't think the the bigness of his stardom is something that you and i are fully aware of as much as older people are like him doing that him doing that photo shoot Uh you know like that was a huge deal at the time because it's not merely, oh, a, a movie star. It's fucking Burt <laughs> Reynolds, yeah. who is so lusted after by women uh, doing this yeah. this photo shoot. And so I feel like it's just interesting. We We so seldom profile stars, like full on, like mm-hmm. big movie stars. And I think what's interesting here is that for you and I, he was even if we intellectually objectively understand that he's a big movie star. He's never going to feel for us the way he did for people that were adults in the seventies.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think when Boogie Nights came out when I was in ninth or 10th grade, I can't remember exactly when that was. Mm -hmm. I did get a sense of like, Oh, this, he must've been huge at some point because of what the narrative was about his big comeback. But basically it feels like
0: uh, I would also say, uh incidentally, I just had this thought for people our age, Burt Reynolds is probably infinitely more known as a Norm MacDonald impression. <laughs> like I'm not even joking. Like yeah. I think,
1: you know, Well, yeah, we'll get actually, okay. I don't want to speak ill of the dead. We're doing this as a right. sort of tribute to him, but I do think he's kind of like, he has a lot of the same trajectory as Matthew McConaughey, except sure. Matthew McConaughey had his reconnaissance mm-hmm. And when Burt Reynolds had Burt Reynolds had, His chance at one with Boogie Nights, he kind of intentionally didn't chase it. He didn't like working with Paul Thomas Anderson. I don't think he really liked the movie, which I guess Mark Wahlberg doesn't either. I guess people just don't like that. People who worked on the movie don't like it. And there was a great
0: joke, an SNL
1: joke. When I was it inside the actor studio, or someone asked him like, it was some sort of interview, Celebrity Jeopardy, or I think it was inside the actor studio. And someone asked him like, so you've you're back and you've had this
0: comeback and this you've been nominated for nominee, the Academy yeah, this Award. prestigious
1: movie, nominated for Academy Award. What's next for Burt Reynolds? Uh, car picture with Tom oh. Delwood. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that it's a joke, but that is kind of, yeah. does kind of seem like he was more comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, and it's a shame because when you watch something like deliverance, you really see, uh, how much, um, how much depth and in intelligence and mm. in potential he really had. um, I'm my next for me is the longest yard. I don't know what's next for you. Oh, uh, it's in the van. Okay. So, um, the longest yard is a movie that I don't love, but I really respect because it's a, on the one hand, it's kind of a big, dumb comedy, Mm -hmm. but it also is a studio comedy that came out in the years between, uh, between easy Rider and jaws when they kind of lost control and, the longest yard. What, what is what is good about it when it works is that it it's a it's a comedy that actually feels kind of dangerous mm. in a way. It it doesn't feel like it pulls its punches. You know, like I never saw the Adam Sandler version, which apparently Burt Reynolds has a cameo in or something. Yeah. Uh, did you see it? No. Okay. Um. But this is uh. You know, the premise of the movie is it's prisoners versus guards in a football game. Yeah. And the prisoners are really looking at this in many cases less as a chance to win against the guards and more as a chance to just get out there and fuck up some guards Yeah, and you're the movie is on their side. And so it is kind of a, it's kind of a gleefully mean spirited movie, but in a way that doesn't feel as immature as something like Mash, which I know a lot of people like, Mash. I've never liked it. I've never responded to it. Um, but Mash also—I think of Mash because Mash also has an extended a very long football sequence. Um, you know the movie mm. Mash. Uh,
0: you're acting like you don't know. No, I <laughs> do. I do know. Sorry, I was thinking of, of other things. But yes, and that like sequence. not Burnt Reynolds
1: <laughs> stuff. Just your hat.
0: Just thinking about my hat, you know, like, I mean, that's the thing is my, my head's in it. So I feel like mm-hmm. I should be really paying attention to it a lot.
1: Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I would, rec- I, I think, uh, basically my, uh, the, 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 what's what sort I'm looking for? The, what I'm coming to here, the conclusion that I'm coming to mm-hmm. is that the longest yard is better than Nash. <laughs> All right <laughs> um I don't think it's a great movie I think it's a little uh it's a little sloppy and uh, and uneven um but uh it has a part where uh one of the prisoners comes off the field after having uh, it's also directed by Robert Aldrich by the way yeah uh, comes off the field after having collided with one of the guards and is like grinning ear to ear and going, I think I broke his fucking neck. And then later when the guy's getting carted off, he's like, I did, I did break his fucking neck. (laughs) It's a big, funny uh,
0: moment. Uh, Well, and that's, I'm commenting on a movie I haven't seen, but like, you know, when you think of the slobs versus snobs kind of thing, now this isn't exactly that, but it's like the, the motley crew of these prisoners against the people that are in power, Mm -hmm. except here is like, Oh yes, we want to, if we can kill them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I see what you mean as far as like, it's a dangerous comedy. One that definitely feels seventies.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I, again, haven't seen the Adam Sandler one. I feel confident saying there's no way it feels like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably not.
1: <laughs> um, uh, one that was, yeah, I just, I got so busy between, you know, we decided to do this,
0: you shortly know, when then, he, shortly after he died. Yeah.
1: And I think that was either while I was at TIFF or like I went to TIFF, I went out of town a couple of times, I got sick and then uh, I went out of town for a long time and I did, I had this list of like movies. I want to see this before we do this thing in two and a half months and the two and a half months seemed to go by and I just yeah. didn't get to a lot of these movies. So I didn't get, he reteamed with Robert Ald- Aldridge for hustle the next year, which is uh, supposed to be pretty good actually with Catherine, mm-hmm. Deneuve, Catherine Deneuve and uh, Ben Johnson um, and Eileen Brennan and Eddie Albert and Ernest Berg- Borgnine. It sounds like That's a, a good m- cast. Yeah, it sounds like a great movie, uh, and it was on my list. Um, and then I can't really mention, I saw Silent Movie once when I was very young, mm-hmm. you know, the the Mel Brooks yeah. Silent Movie. I know he plays himself in it, but I don't really remember much of it. Yeah. The, only really, the only thing that really sticks out to me about Silent Movie is the fact that the one word spoken in the movie is spoken by Marcel Marceau. Yeah, um, that's funny, right? Yeah, um, I've never seen Nickelodeon, which is a Peter Bogdanovich movie that was a very, really, yeah. a very expensive bomb. Yeah, uh, because Peter Bogdanovich at that point was coming off the Last Picture Show, right, mm-hmm. and was um, very well. You know, like, Had he made
0: Paper Moon yet by then? Um,
1: well, what 70- Last Picture? Just the last picture says 71. Paper oh, yeah. Moon 73. Yeah. So this is 76 is when he made okay. Nickelodeon. So he might have. And then what year is what's up, doc? After? I think that's after. Okay. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I haven't seen Nickelodeon, but talk about, I mean, him taking chances doing a Peter Bogdanovich comedy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I learned from, Have you? Uh, I, we didn't do a movie journal the last week or this week. I don't know if you've watched They'll Love Me When I'm Dead. No, uh, yeah. Did you watch the
0: other side of the wind, by the way? Nope. All right. Well, you'll get to it. Uh, yeah. I haven't watched it either. Um, I should but, say, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this now. So along with teaching and driving for lift and all that, I have been working on a, a thing where I'm, I'm putting together a, video series for a streaming service. They've paid me to do this. Yeah. It requires a lot of editing on my part and a lot of research and yeah. recording. And so that is where a lot of my time has gone. You know, when it, it, when it posts, I will let everybody know. Cool. Uh, but yeah, it's not for Netflix. Y- you're probably not going to get it. But the point is, is I, what was that? Is that oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: all right. Uh, one, one thing I learned from the Love Me when I'm dead is that, uh, Burt Reynolds and Peter Radanovich were like friends. They weren't just Hmm. in the movie. They were, they were friends because there's a, um, um, there's a clip of like Orson Welles is filling in as a guest host on a talk show. I don't know if it was the tonight show. You would know if he did that sort of thing, but he was a a fill in host on some sort of late night talk show. And Burt Reynolds was the guest and they were talking about Nickelodeon and, and the fact that they're both, good friends with Peter McDonavich. It was crazy. Uh, I think
0: he filled in for Dick Cavett regularly. Oh, that makes sense. Okay.
1: Now we're uh, into 1977. The one you've seen. uh, (laughs) The first one you've seen. There we go. Uh, Smoking the Bandit, directed by Hal Needham. Uh, Damn near killed him.
0: Um, uh, And this is... Admittedly, I, I, it has been a long time since I've seen it, and Okay, I, I've seen I it hate, very recently. Yeah, I hate to say it, I remember Jackie Gleason a lot more. I think uh-huh. just because when I saw it, that's what I was watching it for, not for the subtleties of Burt Reynolds' performance.
1: Uh, well, let's because we're here to say nice things because I, I think Smoking the Bandit is is fine. It has definitely has its uh, um, it's good points and it's somewhat lazy. Toss together points, some of which are also its good points, by the way. Um, but uh, in terms of positivity, I think this is a movie that, and I, and, I'm, and maybe I'm just reverse engineering this, p- this opinion because I know it was a surprise hit mm-hmm. and it was a, an enormous hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a surprise hit because I don't think, because I think on paper it sounds like nothing. It's like yeah. there's no real character development to it. And it's just cars driving around for an uh, like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, but I think the the thing you really get out of it is that whatever we mean when we use the term movie star, Burt Reynolds and Sally Field in 1977 were it. They're mm-hmm. they're just natural charisma shines through this movie so brightly even though like i said they're the thinnest possible characters yeah but you can just watch them sit in the car and kind of like flirt even though there's not not that, that much flirting in the dialogue or the dialogue's flirting is very straightforward of him yeah. just like checking out her ass or whatever yeah but you can see their their chemistry is something we've uh, talked about as a yeah. um sort of a to go back to what we said I think on last week's episode, uh, you know, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. That's, that's what chemistry is. And I would say the, one of the best examples of knowing it when I see it is Bert Reynolds and Sally Field in smoking
0: the bandit. You just enjoy spending time with them, like mm-hmm. yeah, regardless of the kind of character they're playing and admittedly. Um, and I don't, I, and I don't mean this as a, as a dig, most great, most of the great movie stars, Weren't known for their range; they were known for their naturalism on screen. Whether it be Cary Grant or uh, Denzel Washington, you know um, they didn't do a lot of different types. They haven't done a lot of different types of roles. But when they're on screen, you just it's magnetic. You can't help but watch them, not merely because they're in front of you, but because you are paying attention to everything they say, every nuance, uh, because they just sometimes it's because they're so cool or they're so good looking or whatever it is. Um, but I think in the case of Burr Reynolds, uh, with the films of his that I've seen, there is just a naturalism. He's just really comfortable being on screen. Uh, whether it be an action movie or a comedy or a drama, like he just, he feels very much at home in front of the camera. He's a very, un, uh, very unselfconscious actor. Yeah.
1: Um, and you know, uh, do here's a question. Do we think that Burt Reynolds was funny? Because Smoking the Bandit is funny, mm. but that's mostly Jackie Gleason. Is Burt Reynolds funny? That's a good question. No. Okay. Because he's done a couple comedies. Like, here's okay. He was in Everything You Need, Everything You Always Want to Know About Sex, but which I've never seen. Yeah. I've never seen it. If I'd seen it, I'd remember the whole title.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was in Nickelodeon. He's in one coming up. We're going to uh, mention, I don't think he's, I don't think he's necessarily funny, but I don't necessarily mean he's unfunny either. I think there is a, there is a certain lightness to him that he can play up so that he fits into a comedy really well. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess
1: he's, uh, that's a good point that he's, as he's both a movie star, but also I think can be a good ensemble player. Sure. Um, because I think he, I, I don't know. His story is so weird or not weird, but he wasn't like, he didn't like have a passion for acting. He had a passion for football. He played yeah. college football. He got injured and took up acting and ended up being one of the biggest movie stars yeah. on, on the planet. Uh, and was also all like always a, uh is it florida state or university of, uh, i think it's florida state uh is where he went and was a supporter of them for the rest of his life mm-hmm. um, uh and so maybe maybe the, his football background gave him like a sort of teamwork type of maybe, uh, yeah. uh mentality because he he was often the star once he became a big star but he's not um is never a selfish actor.
0: Yeah. I mean, even looking ahead a little bit to some of his T V work, like in Evening Shade, which is a which was a sitcom like my parents really okay. liked watching it, and so I watched a fair amount of it. And you know, it was a sitcom and his character had one-liners and that sort of... Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Never mind. We, we'll, we'll, okay. we can move on.
1: Um, well, let's... I did, okay, I feel bad. I didn't watch Semi-Tough. I've also... This has made me feel bad on multiple levels. I've never seen The End, which is a movie that my dad loved. Okay. Which is... Um, I don't know if it's the first one that he directed, but he directed it, and do you know the premise of The End? I do not. It's a dark comedy in which he plays a terminally ill man who becomes friends with a mental patient, played by Dom DeLuise, who agrees to help him kill himself. And the movie is about this guy's misadventures of
0: repeatedly trying and failing to kill himself. <laughs> so it's like that, uh, that movie, Short Time. I don't know that movie. It's with Dabney Coleman as a guy who is mis- uh, a cop who's misdiagnosed as dying. And so he <laughs> realizes... Double indemnity style that if he dies in the line of duty, his family gets more okay. money, and so he keeps purposely putting himself in harm's way. <laughs> it's not that good of a movie, but it's a good premise, yeah. And it's Dabney Coleman, you know, yeah, that uh star of the 80s, yeah. I like Dabney Coleman, yeah.
1: Do you know, um, you know the Seinfeld fake movie Prognosis Negative, yeah? Do you know the story like that was a screenplay apparently that Larry David wrote. About a guy who got his test results back and they were negative, which meant he wasn't sick. But all he heard is negative, and the rest of the movie is him living his life, thinking he's dying of a terminal illness, (laughs) even though he was cleared by the doctor and just
0: misunderstood. That's fine. His results were negative. Um, All right. um, What what do we think about the fact that Burt Reynolds, again, a guy who just wanted to play football, started directing? I think it's great. I mean, good for him. It's
1: fascinating. I kind of a part of me wonders if he saw his friend Hal Needham do it and was like, I guess this isn't so hard.
0: That, (laughs) Um, That there is an effortlessness to him as an actor or as a performer. I wonder if it just let if that's just who he is. Is he just looked at life and said, like, yeah, I could do pretty much anything here.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably that's probably true. I could see it. Um, so, yeah, we're jumping
0: through a few here that I again I uh, haven't I heard, seen. I heard very good things about Sharky's Machine. Uh, uh,
1: oh, that's the next one on my list. Oh, actually, because okay. um, that is another one he's he directed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah, because I watched it because I had also heard very good things about it. I I feel like it. Um, I mean, it's definitely a movie that he. Directed with both barrels, it's it's a it's a it's a full on uh, commitment, but it also feels like just kind of a, a dirty hairy wannabe in a okay. lot of ways. It, it's a um, it's it's an undercover. It's a detective movie about a vice. No, he's a homicide. Uh, yeah, he's a homicide detective, and then uh, a civilian gets shot uh, in the line of duty. And so he gets busted down to vice, which I guess is Mm -hmm. like, um, and then uncovers this entire like drug and prostitution ring. Uh, and Sharky's machine are all the guys like his fellow detectives, but also like all the connections he's made working vice over the years, Mm. uh, counterfeiters and stuff like that. that are like, so it's, it's again, it's kind of an ensemble, but it's clearly like there's a lead and there's yeah. a whole group of backup players, um, helping him. But it's also, it's a relentlessly cynical movie, um, with a very high body count. Okay. Um, and
0: some real brawny stuff. Um, and so I feel like you're not usually one to be bothered by cynicism in a film.
1: Um, maybe I'm a little older now. I don't know. Okay. um, but uh yeah i i understand why people like it because it is not it's not done uh in half measures in any way it's not a lazily made movie Mm -hmm. it just feels like it's also not a particularly deep movie yeah um but yeah you want to see guys get blown away uh and you want to see um uh, I think Henry Silva is a psycho killer. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's the best part of the movie. I, I mean, in terms of performance, uh, Henry Silva was awesome in the movie. Uh, but yeah, Sharky's machine probably worth checking out if you're a fan, but, uh, no, N- not my favorite.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, and then I've got a big, a big jump. Okay. Well, uh, I saw stick. Okay, um, which he acted in and also directed. Okay, um, it's based on an Elmore Leonard novel, uh, which I read first, and then I saw that it had been um, made into a film. And in watching it, uh, it's—I think it's actually very good. Uh, it features um, Charles Durning as uh, as the villain, and you know these words that I'm that I'm using to describe. Burt Reynolds, uh just charismatic, natural, effortless. Uh I mean everything about that lends itself to an Elmore Leonard hero. Um a a common thread if you watch if you read his novels is that the hero is just naturally cool mm-hmm. and I guess another word is unflappable. Um and Burt Reynolds seemed to really understand this both as a director and certainly as an actor. And so, uh, the character is not necessarily light or breezy as you will sometimes get in an Elmore Leonard adaptation. Uh, he's, he takes things fairly seriously for the most part. It's an act. He's an ex con who finds himself in uh, a bad situation. And so, uh, but it's this idea that there's a, a a natural confidence to the character that prison has uh, prepared him for the difficulties of life. In fact, one could say that, like, oh, well, anything out here is as bad as it can get is infinitely preferable to what's in there so i can handle it no problem and so that really comes across in his performance um I, si- I i saw the film did not actually get very good reviews but i i actually like it quite a bit i think it's directed in a fairly straightforward way there's not a lot of stylistic flourishes or anything but i think his performance and the performances the performance of the ensemble this goes back to something that, mm-hmm. that you were talking about um almost any elmore leonard Novel or movie adapted from a novel is going to have a really solid ensemble. And I remember Stick having one. And so. So that speaks to, you know, when the star is also the director, there's got to be tremendous t- temptation to give yourself the good moments <laughs> and and downplay other things. But I think he understood the power of, that, of the ensemble in that story, and it would seem in most of the stories, even something like Sharky's Machine, mm-hmm. yes, it, it's built around him, but the power is in all of the people that he has working with him. Yeah. And so, yeah, stick is, it's, I mean, it's, it's no get shorty. It's no out of sight or Jackie Brown. Like those are kind of the essential three. Um, but it is, it is certainly a, a worthy, uh, entry in like the Elmore Leonard adaptation, uh, movies. And, uh, and I liked it quite a bit and I think he's very good in it.
1: Well, to get off topic, what would you say is the next tier of Elmore Leonard adaptations? it's a good question 310 to
0: yuma 310 to them? yuma uh, or
1: maybe just
0: the i honestly I, I like the original i think it's it's good but i think that the new one not just because of the the nature of the action but i feel like mm-hmm. there's more of a crackling quality to it uh that i tend to associate with Elmer leonard um then there's mr majestic which i saw okay. uh starring charles bronson which is it's not bad, not okay. great, not bad.
1: Did you see, because I, I remember Elmore L- Leonard was, uh, w- when did he die? He died in like the mid-2000s, I think. Was he, so w- had he already died when Justified premiered?
0: I, th- no, I think he died shortly.
1: Yeah, because I think I remember him saying, because the the pilot episode of Justified is, pretty from what I understand a pretty faithful adaptation of the short story which I'm I'm forgetting the name of Mm -hmm. um, uh, Yeah, I can't remember the name of the short story and then from there it just became its own show based on that short story but uh, my understanding is that that's a pretty good that just that pilot is
0: a good short story adaptation I did also see Paul Schrader's touch uh, which is adapted from uh, a more comedic uh, novel of okay. his. Uh, and that one's actually pretty good. Definitely second tier, maybe even a third tier. Uh, and I say that not knowing what other movies would fit into the second tier. Uh, but it is fun. Uh, and it definitely is kind of an outlier in the filmography of uh, Paul Schrader. Um, because it's not deadly serious. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I I do... I would say, I'm not sure if I'd say I highly recommend Stick, but I do like it quite a bit. And I think Burt Reynolds, it just... Works in the same way that that George Clooney in Out of Sight it just worked. It just felt so right, mm-hmm. and I would say Burt Reynolds in an Elmore Leonard movie just felt just feels right mm-hmm. given some of the stuff that we've been talking about. So okay, so you said there was a jump. So what's up? What's well, next, next up for you? For
1: me is a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Okay, I
0: think I see where we're going. It's a voice performance. Oh, okay, all right.
1: Nineteen eighty all dogs go to heaven in which he is the voice of Charlie B. Barkin.
0: Uh, <laughs> I actually did not see this movie. I heard it was, I remember as a kid, it was, uh, it was actually somewhat, um, controversial among some people. They said that like, it wasn't appropriate for, for yeah. kids. I kind of get that. I
1: mean, it's rated G, yeah. but it is like, is it Don a, Bluth?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. There it is.
1: It's a gangster story mm-hmm. in which multiple, like, I mean, your charactered animals, not people, but they're being murdered. Like, yeah, the whole thing is Charlie B. Barkley gets killed at the beginning yeah. and then comes back to like, I can't remember now. Uh, and then there's like this homeless girl who both, she's an orphan. Both her parents have died. Like it's, mm. yeah, I, that controversy is probably well earned, but I, like, I, that wasn't what I was thinking about as a kid. Yeah. And maybe that's, we should stop coddling kids.
0: You know What's a great... Do we coddle them, do you think? I don't, but I don't know any. <laughs> right. um, yeah, you just yell at kids randomly on the street. Yeah. Uh, I love
1: just just the sound of it, just poetically. I love the term mollycoddling. Oh, yes. But I hate... This happens all the time. You look up some word and you realize it has some like uh, gross backstory. So the term mollycoddling comes from the mistaken belief that if a mother loves her son too much it'll turn him gay (laughs) that's (laughs) what molly means and so i feel like i think i used to say it a lot because i think it just sounds fun but now i realize uh
0: that it has a bad terms change you know you can yeah that's (laughs) (laughs) That's That's it's a term that nobody uses
1: yeah uh yeah i guess if we forget yeah because like that's the difference between like the N word or the F word is like, we haven't forgotten. We're not going to forget what those yeah. things are not going to suddenly mean other things. Yeah. But yeah, saying Molly Coddling or calling someone a moron, which used to be like, yeah, uh, you know, used to be a term yeah. for specifically yeah. like mentally, uh, what's the one I'm looking for? Handicapped people yeah. or whatever the word disabled people. Yeah.
0: Uh, but now we just say moron to everyone. everyone. Let me suggest this. Mo- Molly Coddling means that if a mother loves her son, it could turn him gay you don't mean happy, you mean oh, uh, right, yeah. you know, uh yeah. homosexual, yeah, and so uh so yeah, you know what? listeners and also if you get nothing else from this episode, it's that it's time for us to take molly Coddling and turn it into something a little less rough,
1: um, but also here coming out from another point point of view. I don't care if anyone's gay. You know what? It's great. Molly coddle your son's all you want. Make a whole generation. I think it's the of argument of, of
0: turning them. Yeah. That's uh, a that good might point. be the, uh, the yeah, issue. That's a good point. I don't believe. Cause exactly. if there's one thing that boy erased blasted into our heads, wait, did you see it? No. Okay. Yeah. No. Um, but, uh, just based on it. it okay. It's apparently getting uh, good reviews, yeah, uh, but nobody, I know. I so know. Is Green book. It's uh, uh, yeah, it okay. very good. um, uh,
1: <laughs> uh Anyway, so yeah, it's a Don Bluth movie. Um, Don DeLuise uh, is also a voice, of course. Uh, and I don't remember that much about it, but yeah, I do know that it is somewhat controversial. Uh, he played himself again in The Player. Mm-hmm. I don't really, do you have anything to say about it? I mean, it just aside, a lot of people play aside from
0: just the fact that it's, it's not like it's necessarily a big get, it's this idea that, like, we need a movie star. Mm -hmm. And we need a movie star who it's weird. When I think of up until this conversation, when I thought of Burt Reynolds, he struck me as someone that would probably be kind of a prima Donna, but he's so willing to be part of ensembles and then be play himself, which I guess one could say is could be seen as egotistical, but it's more just like, Hey, we need a movie star. Uh, you're going to work for a day. And uh, do you want to do this? And he said, yes. And so I don't know. I, I don't know why, where I got that image in my mind of him being a prima donna. It could be a mixture of knowing that he did not love working with Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. and his portrayal on Celebrity Jeopardy. Like It could be right. those things. Um,
1: but what's crazy is we feel like now that we're into the 90s, is playing himself, mm-hmm. we feel like when we, th- when we think about the career of Burt Reynolds, we think we're at the tail end. Here, mm-hmm. But he worked so much in the oh, 90s yes. and 2000s and the 2010s. There are so many credits. Yeah. Just there are things that I never saw. So I, but next for me is Boogie Nights. I don't know if you saw Bean.
0: Okay. Well, I've got several things to say here now. Okay. Okay. Because we're not talking about TV. Um, Oh, we can talk I, about TV. Cause I'll talk about Archer. Ah, but there's out of this world. Oh, right. Do you remember out of this world? Oh, yes. I, Oh, yeah are you kidding me he of course was the around. voice of her father that's right yeah and Evie, i mean evie's father yeah and while again this could be put down to the fact that he could just walk in and say things um, but you know we've now talked about two vocal performances that he's given all dogs go to heaven and out of this world and I do think that it it speaks to you know we're talking about kind of the vibe that he gives off but also he does have Eric pardon me he did have uh a very strong like masculine but again a very laid back kind of masculinity uh in his in his voice and in his mm-hmm. deliver uh delivery you know when he's the uh, Look, I don't want to talk about Out of This World as much as I already have, but um, I, I, could, was, I could
1: talk about Out of <laughs> yeah. This World. This could be the Deliverance slash Out of This World <laughs> podcast, and I could talk about nothing but. I loved you, Out of This World as a do kid. Do you think
0: we should, you know what? Let's go off in a different direction. This has become an Out of This World episode, <laughs> oh, episode by episode. episode would be great. Oh my gosh. Um, oh my God. But I wonder the, if those are available anywhere. <laughs> uh probably they would have to be right i don 't think so there's there's stuff that 's not we think everything's available now there 's stuff that's I guess not so. available um, um, but that 's the thing is like the voice is not it's it 's not meant to be this authoritative like oh it 's an it 's an alien being no it 's just this very casual approachable yet not stern but uh i don 't know it's st- i guess just strong uh, just a strong and comforting Uh, confident voice and uh, so yeah it's that's who you get and and his willingness you know for a long time tv was seen as less than film and and maybe it actually was but it was one of these things that like if you were a movie star and you started doing tv that was seen as a huge step down and he was still doing plenty of movies but then Mm -hmm. he was in a show that i have not seen it was 12 episodes so i guess it didn't do very well called bl striker and then he was in out of this world uh he was in evening shade from 1990 to 1994 uh which again i did watch and it's a hell of an ensemble now that i look at it um but uh but yeah and so i don't actually know if he was egotistical or not but if you look at at this if you look at his filmography it is not the filmography of a guy who thinks himself particularly i don't think he would ever describe himself as an artist you know right yeah that's not not to imply he wasn't right but i don't think he would think of himself that way because he was a football player yeah i think i think he was happy to work and happy to be part of an ensemble yeah yeah and i guess so why? So
1: why didn't he then become uh, Gene Hackman?
0: I don't know. Uh, honestly, it could be that Gene Hackman was. I mean, he was in some duds as well, but I think he was a bit more discerning. I think he did think of himself as an artist.
1: I guess, but he, 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 he also one thought of, the of himself as a working actor. He thought yeah. of it as a as his job. Yeah. This is trade. And I think, I'm talking about Gene Hackman in the past tense. He's still yeah. with us, but he's retired.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, he definitely was. And, and Michael Caine as well. I mean, Michael Caine was in a lot of shit for a long time. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it could just be that Gene Hackman was never a movie star. He was a, he was a well-known actor. He was an Oscar winner in the 1970s. It was a big deal for him to be in Superman, but he was never a a Mm -hmm. full-on movie star the way Burt Reynolds was. And so I think it allowed, that allowed him to pursue maybe more fulfilling, uh, types of performances where, and so I think it could just be, maybe they both really liked working, but I think maybe because of the trajectory of Burt Reynolds career early on, like, he did Deliverance and then moved into like these weird, you know, not weird, but these car movies with Dom DeLuise, <laughs> you know. And, and I think it caused people to take him less seriously as an actor, which is why um, when we can jump to Boogie Nights, we'd be jumping over Bean and Cop and a Half. Uh, and which also I Citizen seen.
1: Ruth and Striptease. Yeah. Both, neither are which I've seen. But like, yeah, <laughs> he was in some of the stripteases is considered a uh Critical fave, but like Citizen Ruth is like an, you know, an indie movie. Um, So, yeah, we can jump over that. But uh, uh, before we get away from out of this world, because I know I I can't remember if I brought this question up on the podcast before. It might have come up on a commentary. Okay. Did Evie, when she stopped time, continue aging and did that pile up? And was she like getting wrinkles and gray hair while she was still in college because she had spent so much time stopping time and aging when other people weren't or did she stop aging somehow while time was stopped
0: i th- i would have to say that everything associated with her which it means her body as well just continued right so yeah so she's, she, she's getting older i would say she- it was negligible i don't think she was stopping time for years or even months or even days it's like oh no a paint the can paint is can. gonna fall, yeah. <laughs> and I need to stop it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was always the paint can that was in the opening of titles. Yeah. No one, God, <laughs> if we have a list, you and I are born in nineteen eighty two. Yeah. If you were born in nineteen eighty one, you don't know what we're talking <laughs> right. about. Like I feel like this this show uh, was a, was a real blip and I can't find it anywhere online oh, I'm looking right now. I would love to rewatch out of this world. Would you? And see if it's good. Right. I, I predict th- you'd
0: watch an episode <laughs> and be like, okay, I think I, I think I get it.
1: All right. Let's jump to Boogie Nights. Yeah. Which is a, yeah. Oscar nomination It's a big prestigious movie. It is my least favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Okay. Uh, uh, it has, I've tried to, you know, I used to be dumb and not think Magnolia was that great. I rewatched Magnolia. It's great. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought, hey, maybe I was on my Boogie nights too. And I rewatched boogie nights. It just doesn't work for
0: me. Boogie nights has definitely, I didn't love it for a while. It has grown in my estimation just <laughs> as far as there's an energy to it that I think is undeniable and one that I think is hard to maintain, but he does. Uh, and I think that the ensemble is working really well together. I mean, just a lot of the things that I think he would then do better in Magnolia is certainly there. And, and I think he is able to find, um, I think he is able to find poignant moments, uh, and, and moments of humor and depth, uh in in these stories and yeah uh oh real quick i will say that one of the one of life's greatest pleasures is to go and watch uh siskel and ebert and listen to how often they talk about cop and a half um because (laughs) ebert gave it a positive review and siskel was just baffled by it and it was the thing that years later (laughs) he would go back like they were talking about i think they were talking about um like broken arrow or something like that and siskel gave it a thumbs up and then ebert gave it a thumbs down and as he was talking siskel said you know what honestly i think you might have convinced me i think i'm gonna go thumbs down he goes and now that i have (laughs) he's like would you go back and give cop and a half (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Pums down. laughs> yeah it was because i think cop and a half came out the same year as carnosaur which siskel liked and ebert did not and so when it came to like their least favorite movies of that year uh they just kept using their these movies against each other and it was tremendous fun but yeah so cop and a half was given so much more life than it ever would have if gene siskel yeah. had just let it go but anyway sorry we Roger can move was on to- right by the way about broken arrow not good I don't think it's a good movie. Yeah, I think it's I think it's got some f- fine action stuff, but it's it's yeah. pretty forgettable.
1: My favorite thing about Broken Arrow now is the part in the end of the tour when they go see it at the movie <laughs> theater the right. All of America.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and isn't it interesting that the the website, you know, Ain't It Cool? Uh-huh. Which has, you know, taken on a life of its own, like putting aside, you know, scandal and stuff. But that it was this trailblazing website and that it it got its name from this very forgettable <laughs> 90s action movie. <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, yeah. So I do think that. Um, so you don't love Boogie Nights. That's fine. Right. Um, what is your take on Burt Reynolds in the film? I think
1: it's hard for me because one of my problems of my one of my problems with Boogie Nights is that it doesn't feel like there's much emotional or pacing consistency from scene to scene. Mm-hmm. So I have trouble with all of the characters getting a real handle on them besides just saying, just the movie saying, here's who this is now. Here's like, we've jumped right. We've jumped, you know, cause the movie takes place over like a decade or so. Is that? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I, I just feel like the actors are just trying, uh, trying to keep their heads above water. A lot mm-hmm. of the time is how it feels to me. So I think it's a committed performance, but I don't know that it's, I'm just, I'll, I'll bet I could find five supporting actor, roles from 1997 that I would have nominated first. Hmm. Interesting. But I don't uh, think it's him. I, cause like I was saying I like him and everything. I, I, I just don't think the movie is very good.
0: I actually, I, I think that his performance is, I think the character and the performance is definitely the anchor of the film. He's older than any of the other characters with the exception of like his producer characters and stuff, uh, his producing partners. Um, and so he doesn't change really that much he tries to adapt to the changing industry uh but i think he still adapts within his consistent mentality and uh and he's a guy who i th- I, th- I really think that the character is confident and suave and and has a a masculinity you know very much like uh burt reynolds himself but i think he actually finds something underneath i think he finds a real desperation uh, in that character uh, that i think is played up in the very very awkward scene where they like just pick up a random guy and have him have sex with is it with a roller girl i believe yeah yeah. um and he's trying to like direct the guy as he's just like fumbling around and all that and just the the fact of it happening and then him trying to do the only thing he knows how to do which is direct porn in a situation which is clearly not going to go the way he wants it to go but he still clings to it like yeah i think the the fact of what he's doing, which is more about the writing, I think, speaks volumes about the character, but that Burt Reynolds is just like, it, it, his character seems so oblivious, but you know that he's not oblivious. It's more just, we're in this situation, and now we just have to keep going, and then it, things turn violent uh, because... i think the desperation of the burt reynolds character the jack horner character um really comes to the forefront like uh, a a sore spot is touched by this guy and so he just goes after Mm -hmm. him and so yeah but that can't come out of nowhere and i think he does establish that this is a guy who actually is deeply insecure with and and would prefer to make real movies and now here he is he's not even like he's not even making good porn anymore now he's making this shitty you know voyeuristic kind of thing and someone points it out and it's just too much for him to take um and so that he can do that and then also be paternalistic to mark Wahlberg's character and that all of that can seem like it comes from the same place, um, which is a desire to make a positive difference in the world only to find himself here. Uh, I, I really, I love the performance. It's, it would not have been, I am fine with nominating it. A lot of people said he should have won over Robin Williams. My vote would still be Robert Forster for Jackie Brown. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, but I do really love the, the performance.
1: Okay. Well, now we're going to get into some movies that I've seen, but I don't remember. Or I don't really remember him in them.
0: Okay. Mystery Alaska is a well, movie that... before we get there... Oh, you got it. Uh, Is it before we get there? Oh, no, no, it is. Sorry, it's after. Never so mind. So
1: Mystery Alaska is 1999. Yeah. So no no wonder it got swallowed up by <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the uh, great movie years. Although I, don't, I think that's one of those IMDb things where it's 1999. I feel like it didn't actually come out until 2000, but I could be wrong about that. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. Uh, but it's um, that's yeah. I, I, for, I forget that Mystery Alaska has a whole part where it's a legal. Dr- that's a courtroom drama before it's a hockey. Yeah, and he's part of the courtroom, He's like the judge in the courtroom part.
0: Yeah, and I forget about that. And and I don't remember really anything. I'm sure it's. Not necessarily a bad role, but there's just not much for him to do in it. It's more just, hey, Burt Reynolds is playing the judge. Isn't that neat? Yeah. And then in Rennie Harlan's Driven, 2001. Oh, now we're jumping over The Crew, which I saw with my parents in 2000. I remember this movie Um, from the video store, but uh, never saw it. It's not particularly good. Uh, It is, once again, uh, an ensemble. Uh, with Richard Dreyfuss, Burt Reynolds, Dan Hedaya, and Seymour Cassell um, as the primary, uh, like, these four guys who are aging mobsters. Uh, And so I do think that at this point, whether it be Boogie Nights or something like The Crew, uh, the idea of someone who used to be big Mm -hmm. and now is older and is not that anymore, I think you start to see a common thread maybe it started a little bit before Boogie Nights, but that definitely kicked off a theme going forward, uh, in his films. Um, and most, and I do remember with the crew, it's again, it's, it's a comedy that is fine. It's not that memorable. Um, but what's interesting is, so there are these four guys, the primary two are Richard Dreyfuss and Burt Reynolds with Dreyfuss sort of being the brains of the operation and, uh, Burt Reynolds, character being sort of the the muscle and the charisma uh and that sort of thing and so i remember thinking that there was like really good chemistry amongst the four guys uh but in a fairly forgettable film directed okay. by a guy named michael dinner yeah not michael winner
1: right who made the sentinel and some other All stuff in right. the 70s um anyway uh so then yeah I'm dr- driven he's the Cause he's the owner of the car. Okay. You know how, I, I don't really understand how race, yeah. like, but there's like the owner and the guy, the drivers just
0: drive and Sebastian's yeah. the driver, I guess. If I remember my days of thunder, uh-huh. I mean my personal days,
1: but, but that's stock uh, car racing. This is Indy. This is formula one. But anyway,
0: I mean, it's all, it's all exactly the same. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so he's, yeah. he's, I believe the Randy Quaid, uh, okay. from, uh, days of thunder um but yeah uh i definitely saw driven
1: in a paid to see it in a movie theater okay and then we jump from there. i don't have
0: anything until archer which i think is like the end of it uh do i have something no i think for me it jumps to archer uh i will say that uh i heard good things about some of his films like cloud nine um i think i did see him I think I did see he he was in a few episodes of my name is Earl. And I remember enjoying that. Uh, the film that came out, I think last year, the last movie star, um, I was reading about it. And when I, and what's interesting is when I read, uh, when I saw like ads for it, it said Burt Reynolds, the last movie star, I thought it was a documentary about him. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I didn't know is that it's actually, you know, a fictional, a lightly fictionalized version of him. Um, but all the reviews say that the movie is not that interesting, but that his performance is really great and it's really, you know, introspective and that sort of thing. And, and so many of the negative reviews say this is a great performance and this movie does not deserve it. Uh, but I'm Mm. curious anyway, because not unlike, you know, Venus and stuff like that, it's always interesting to see an actor who we know is close to the end yeah. like very close to the end and doing a perf- and giving a performance that is that really reflects where they are at that moment in their lives i was curious to
1: see the last movie star star because it's in some ways the premise is very similar to the hero with uh, sam elliott right but my understanding at least and my hope is that there's not a romantic relationship between Burt Reynolds and Ariel Winter in the last movie star the way there is between Sam Elliott and Laura Prepon, who's considerably older than Alex. Win- uh, what did I say? Ariel Winter. Um, so I'm hoping that it doesn't turn into a romance in the last movie star. That's just too big an age difference. I know that's. uh hey, maybe that I she's harp on. his daughter. Who knows? Uh, no, she's not. Oh. Uh, <laughs> she's. I'm, see, I see. I've clearly read more about the premise than yeah. you have. uh, Clark Duke plays a guy who's like putting on this cult movie festival or whatever. And Ariel winter plays his sort of like layabout unemployed sister who decides to to, just to earn some cash to work as his driver for the weekend. Okay. And that's how they become pals. But yeah, we skipped over Archer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's only one episode where he play again, plays himself, but not really. He's playing the Archer version of himself. Um, uh, which, Archer is a show that takes place everywhere between the sixties and the nineties, I think. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. uh, it takes place at the, so I think he's supposed to be at the height of his movie stardom probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also looks more like older, the that, that show intentionally plays with what year it's set all the time. Uh, and, um, but I think he, 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 he gives a fun, voice performance in that one episode, which I watched again fairly recently.
0: And I do think that it's, uh, you know, when you think of what Archer is, uh, the character of Archer, like he clearly has modeled to go back to what you're saying about the, you know, Burt Reynolds in the seventies, he clearly has like modeled his whole thing on this image of masculinity. Yeah. Uh, in the seventies. And so, of course, Burt Reynolds has to be a part of it at some point. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then the idea that he just like shows up and just is so is so like either actively or passively dismissive (laughs) of Archer and just shows him what's what, you know,
1: because I think the show is usually really using Burt Reynolds to point out, um, the things about Archer's idea of his own masculinity that are hollow and false. You know, the fact Burt Reynolds was a, Football star mm-hmm. Archer played lacrosse. Yeah. <laughs> Not to look down on the cross, but I'm, I'll bet a football star of Burt Reynolds' age probably didn't have a lot of respect yeah. for lacrosse players, <laughs> um, and so it intentionally puts him on a or it immediately puts him on a, a, a sort of on lower playing field.
0: Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Uh, quick question, uh, and maybe we can't answer this. At what point? Did Burt Reynolds acquire the mustache? Because he doesn't have it for Deliverance, but he does have it for Smokey and the Bandit, and which is only five years later. So somewhere in there, yeah. And as far as I know, like in Stick, he shaves his mush- mustache down considerably, uh, but he still has one. And everything from then on, as far as I can recall, uh, he's got the mustache. So. Clearly, like it's it I don't know if he started to see it as a trademark or he just liked the way it looked, but yeah, it definitely became a big part of, of who he was. Um okay, well he doesn't have it in Hustle in
1: nineteen seventy five, okay. so we're narrowing it down. All right. Uh let's see. Lucky lady we didn't talk about the a Stanley Donan. Uh <laughs> jeez. N- uh he worked with a surprise um, a
0: surprising collection of directors. And he
1: does have it there. Okay. So that's uh that's so, nineteen seventy five. So it sounds like 1975 is when he grew it because then, let's see, he does have it in Gator. Okay. In 1976. So does that mean he didn't have it in White Lightning? Because Gator is a sequel to White Lightning. Did he grow one? No, he doesn't have it in White Lightning. He does in Gator. So it looks okay. like he grew it for Lucky Lady, the exactly. Donan picture. Yeah. 1975. And uh, it just stuck.
0: I don't think he has it in the longest yard. Uh, I think he shaved it yeah. for that.
1: Yeah, the, that's, no, that's before. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah, like Hustle and Lucky Lady are both 1975. He doesn't have it in Hustle. He does in Lucky Lady. All I right. think we pinpointed it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. You can uh, li- you can find all sorts of uh, episodes and stuff there um, and whatnot. movie reviews and, and whatnot. Uh, you can email us at David at Battleship. And- I'm sorry. You can email us at David at battleship pretension.com or Tyler at battleship pretension.com. You can email. Nope. You can follow me on Twitter at Davy pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Um, I'm assuming that nothing has changed in the hour and a half since I last asked you what's going on. We're recording this by the way, the same night as last week's episode because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, so that's, uh, that's that, um, RIP Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.